Hello, Lakeview family, and welcome to this third edition of School of the Word Online. Going to be continuing our series on waiting well. And if you remember, back in the first lesson, I said that we have inherited a long legacy of waiting. On almost every page of the Bible, you find God's people waiting on something, waiting on God to fulfill one promise or another. And um, one of the periods of waiting you find is something called the exile. Pastor Keith has been talking about this on Sunday mornings, and um, this is the period where God's people were removed from the land because of their sins and captured by the empire of Babylon and brought forcibly to the land of Babylon. Uh, And one of the, the prophets, Isaiah, speaks prophetically to the people in this moment. Isaiah actually lived in the period before the exile, but he looks ahead, starting in Isaiah chapter 40, to the time when the people would be in exile and speaks to them about promises God has made to bring them back from the land, to return them to the land that he had promised them. But he's also talking about how they are to be waiting while they are still in the land of exile. And that's what we're going to consider this morning. What does Isaiah have to teach us about while we are waiting? And we're going to see that he teaches us that it matters what we give our attention to while we wait on God to fulfill his promises. During periods of waiting, you know, lots of things are vying for your attention. Right now, during this COVID-19 situation, you're probably um, dealing not only with all the normal life concerns of kids, of of extended family, of financial, uh, just regular making ends meet, um, but you also got some special concerns coming at you all the time, right? You've probably got three news articles you've read already today that are telling you what to be concerned about or what to be looking for and hoping in. Right, you've got all those normal categories that are kind of heightened right now. They, they grab your attention in a unique way. In financial areas, right, you may be concerned about employment or unemployment. Uh, you may be looking at retirement funds going up and down. You may just be concerned generally about larger macroeconomic issues. Where is this all going to go in a few months or years And those things kind of just grab your attention and and they walk around with you throughout the day. For example, I I just found last week when we had all that rain that um, have a little leak in one of the rooms of my house and um, in the roof and and that kind of thing. If you know me, you know that that home maintenance issues uh, just have a hold on my heart in probably an unhealthy way, right? It just kind of walks with me through the day as I'm trying to pay attention to my kids or do my work. That's just with me in the back of my head that I've got this problem and I've got to fix it and it's going to get worse. I'm I'm aware of that all the time. And what Isaiah is trying to get us to see in this chapter is that while we are waiting on God to fulfill his promises, it matters that we are beholding God, that we are aware of him, not just the promises that he has made to us, but he himself, the one who has made those promises promises. So let's get into this chapter. I'm going to kind of skip through major verses um, to get through the whole idea of the chapter. And starting in verse one, we're going to see God makes a promise to his people to restore them. And then he's going to get into some of the, the ways that they need to be preparing and waiting for that to happen. 
He starts here. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's important to note here that Isaiah is speaking of things that have not yet happened. He's promising that God would bring the people back from exile, but at the moment they are still in what he describes as the wilderness, in the desert. And we saw last week that that the present suffering of this world is is real. The Bible understands that that present suffering is difficult. As Romans 8 describes it as a, a thing we groan through. And still, though, Isaiah is saying, while you are still in the wilderness, there prepare the way of the Lord. There, anticipate and hope for and live in light of what God has promised he is going to do. And how do we do that? That should be the question that you're asking as you come to this. How do we prepare for what we don't yet see? Well, we're living in a time that feels like a wilderness. What we're going to see is in the, the center of this chapter are just a bunch of pictures of who God is. And these are not just a bunch of facts about God. These are images. They're aimed at your heart. They're aimed at your imagination. They're trying to bring forth the emotions that come with hoping in one who has promised you something. And I think what Isaiah is trying to get us to see is that while we are waiting, we don't just need to know the truths God has given us, the promises he has made. We need to be aware of God himself. So let's look at a few of these images. And and the first one we see is in the very next verse, it's going to be a picture of God's strength compared to the world's frailty and passingness. Verse six, a voice says, cry. And I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, Surely the peoples are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Are are you aware of this, whatever wilderness you might be walking through, that that all flesh is just grass, right? Our bodies fade and deteriorate. The, The wealth and possessions and material things we have in this world do not last, But Isaiah is not just limiting this to our personal experience of these things passing. He says the people are grass, the the communities, the culture, the nations that you are a part of. These two are just grass that is passing and blowing away. As I was was reading and reflecting on this passage, a picture just kind of came to mind of, of God standing before a map of Europe, kind of starting in the Roman Empire. And if you could see the the nations colored on this map, you'd see Rome kind of spread across the whole Mediterranean, uh, all the way from um, Israel, all the way up through Spain. 
And then after a few hundred years of a of kind of time lapse, you'd see that that kind of breaks and falls apart and a bunch of other colors come up and these nations kind of swirl around on this map like you're turning a kaleidoscope. These little tribes and this country pops up here and these people run down here and invasions come from the east and um, eventually you'll get to the colonial era. You'll see those powers get a little bit bigger and start to fight, kind of their borders push back and forth. You get to the 20th century, you see Germany kind of blow up twice on this map and then get pushed back and, and they finally kind of settle at the, the spot we're in right now with the nations that you'd be familiar with. And then, and then picture God standing before this map and the reason that all of those nations, all of those colors are swirling over the map is because he is just blowing on it. And compared to his breath, we see how passing all of those things we live with are. That, that whatever you're aware of in your life that's passing and fleeting, Isaiah wants us to see God is not like that. Even his breath is stronger than the mightiest empire. His word does not pass away. The next image we get, skip into verse 12, is going to be picturing God as the, the creator of the world. And so we read, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Isaiah pictures God here as the master craftsman who forms the earth. Kind of imagine God standing before a crafting bench and he's got a little water here he pours to make the ocean and a scoop here of the dirt to make the earth, a little mountain pulled off the scale in the right place. But we don't only see the power of God in his creation, but we see his wisdom. Isaiah compares God measuring the earth to the unmeasurableness of his knowledge and his understanding. And you see that in the complexity and the wonderful creation that he has made. We watched, my family watched the other day, the, um, a National Geographic documentary on the Okavango Delta in the Kalahari Desert. And this place is just a, a dry grassland for about eight months of the year. If you've seen pictures of Africa, that's just what you would, you would think of, right? It's dry grass. There's um, cheetahs running, chasing wildebeest on this dry plain. But then for four months out of the year, the rains in central Africa flood this delta, and it becomes this waterland um, full of um, deep lakes that hippos are running through underwater. All these animals are migrating to it. You've got elephants and buffalo coming here every year. You've got uh, life cycle patterns from birds that are dependent on this natural phenomenon. And just watching that documentary, the, the complexity of it is mind-boggling and amazing. And that's what Isaiah is seeing here, that when we see the wonderful beauty and the amazing complexity of our world, we should see the beauty and the wonder and the wisdom of the one who made it. Do you see that in creation? When you walk outside, do you wonder at the one who can form great oak trees out of nothing but light and water? Do you wonder at the amount of information that is stored in the tiny seeds in each tomato that you eat? 
do thunderstorms remind you of the unmatched, untamable power of our God? Does the throwaway beauty of every sunset, which is here for just minutes and then wiped away every day, remind you of the generous riches of the beauty and the wonder of our God? Isaiah wants us to see the grandeur of our creator in the things that he has created. And skip ahead again to Isaiah 40, 25, and we're going to see God's glory as the one who calls forth the stars. Isaiah said, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. When you see the stars in the sky, do you ask who made these? If you walked out and you could see all the way around the earth, the human eye can only see about 5,000 stars. But it's estimated that there are between 100 and 400 billion stars in just the Milky Way galaxy alone. For a little bit of context, if you could count three stars every second, it would take you over 1,000 years to count them all. Most of those stars are only about the size of the earth, but, but the sun, the closest star to us, can fit 1.3 million earths inside of it. And if you took that sun compared to the largest star that we know of, Canis Majoris, you could fit 9.3 billion suns inside of that star. These are basically gigantic nuclear fusion reactors. The reason that stars burn is because the hydrogen atoms in there are so compressed by the gravity that they're forced to fuse into one another, which releases energy. Do you see this in the night sky? Do you just see a bunch of beautiful or sciencey sort of objects? Or do you see the God who actively sustains billions of colossal nuclear reactors spread throughout the universe? The stars don't just come out at night because there's no longer light refracting off of our atmosphere. The stars come out at night because the God who sustains them knows each one of them by name and calls them forth so that not one is ever missing. This is the strength of our God. These are not just facts to know. This is grandeur to behold. And then Isaiah turns back to us, having surveyed the greatness of God. He lowers his eyes back to the audience living in the wilderness. And this is what he tells us. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah is basically saying, you who wait in the wilderness, who feel forsaken and alone, remember who your God is. He is not far from you or powerless in this moment. The one who calls each star by name knows where you are right now. 
The one who made the complexity of the world that you see is not confused by your situation, even if you are. The one whose breath is mightier than the greatest empire is not powerless or tired in this moment. And Isaiah knows that the people reading this know this already. When he says, have you not heard? Have you not known? It's a redundant question. The answer is yes, you have heard. You should have known. But knowing is not enough. Isaiah is showing us that we need to be aware. We need to behold. We need to bring with us an awareness of the grandeur and glory and strength of our God into the present moment of our wilderness. And he will be our strength. We continue in Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The strength of God's people never fails because God's strength never fails. He is our strength, and so our strength is not faint. It is always renewed. But as I was reading through this chapter, I was, I was trying to wrestle with the question of, what does it mean for God to be our strength. How how do we experience that today? Does it only mean that God is going to be the strength of his people in the day when he brings them back from exile? Does it mean for us that, that God will prove strong in the day when he returns and makes all things new, that our strength has not failed because that's still going to happen? Or or should we expect to experience that today while, while we still are in the wilderness because there are many days where we still do not feel strong. How should we read this passage while we are still in the wilderness? And as I was reading this, I, I was helped. I think the Lord directed me to, to Psalm 28. And, and let me read this to you. He says, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. Do you see how David draws out the two realities here of God being his strength? On the one hand, the Lord is objectively his strength. He is the one who helps him. There's definite things the Lord is going to do that's going to prove his strength in David's life. And also... As David reflects on the strength of his God, his heart exults. His heart trusts in the one whom is his strength. There is an objective experience of God's strength that happens in our hearts as we behold it today. Isaiah is telling God's people in Isaiah 40 that not only will God be their strength when he fulfills their promises, but that now their hearts will be strengthened as they behold the strength of their God. They can remember that they can trust the one who promises him and that bleeds over into their present moment. And we too, whatever season we're waiting in can learn from this, that we not only trust the God who has made promises in the future, we trust 
the one who made those promises today. We need to not only remember what God has said he will do, we need to remember who God is because we do not trust a promise. We trust the one who made the promise. And when we behold God's strength, the one who promises us good, that joy will walk with us. We'll be aware of it in the moments that feel like wilderness. When we read the article that tempts us to freak out about where the world is going, we will also be aware that our God is strong and will be with us through all of that. When we see family situations that only seem to be getting worse, we will find we will remember and be aware that God is going to do his will for his people. He works for our good in every situation. When the financial numbers seem impossible to work out, we will be stirred to hope in the one who is full of glorious riches. So we need to remember to behold in the wilderness. We need to read our Bibles, not just to learn about God, but to know him. We need to pray, not only to ask requests of God, but to be with him and experience his nearness. We need to go outside, not just for fresh air, but for a fresh vision of the master creator who has made all things with wisdom and strength. And our strength will not fail, not because we are strong, but because we behold the one who has infinite strength. And in him, our hearts can find trust and peace. Thank you for this, listening to this, and we'll be back next week for one more edition on our series of Waiting Well.